Section 14 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Braden in Leisurely Autumn. Part 1 On Houseboats. With the advent of August, summer may be said to have rounded the corner. The days may be warmer but there is a perceptible shortening of the daylight, while an appearance of ripeness creeps over the face of nature. One feels perhaps more leisurely in August than in any other month of the year, for there come the welcome holidays with a sense of restfulness and relaxation. Far and wide scatter the holiday-making crowds, and I now that my summer holidays have come, make for Braden. It is not everyone who could remain for a month content with so muddy and level and solitary a holiday resort, but all tastes are not alike. And having spent the summer in the slums of a big seaport town, one can well appreciate a spell of rough and tumble life free and unrestrained, getting up when one chooses, doing just what one fancies, and leading the simple life, free of life's nastinesses, of neighbours, newspapers, and noises. Much of our pleasure in life is anticipatory. The preparations for a holiday are cheerfully undertaken, and are a kind of forestalment of its enjoyments. And who can gauge the pleasures enjoyed by a boating man who scrapes and paints and rigs and overhauls his stores before he goes afloat? But long before August comes, the old moorhen has put on her annual rig out cushions blankets and household gear and sundries have been reinstalled and nights not a few have already been spent therein there has however been the inevitable rush back in the early morning the moorhen lies near bannam's farm two good miles from the town shored up like a hull still on the stocks on a little rond bordered round by timbers to arrest the constant licking away of the margins by moving waters and lapping waves when tides are low one can wander up by walls or marshes for when the creeks are empty even a punt must remain stranded when one would get back by boat care must be taken to watch the tides or to leave the punt moored half a mile down the walls in a drain that is empty only at low water the watcher afloat yonder across the flats in his noah's ark has water always under him braden houseboats differ little externally and are simply huts with nearly flat roofs, or are built span-roof fashion, on a condemned, but not necessarily worn-out, smacks boat. Only in internal arrangements do they differ. An eel-babber's or a smelter's hut may be left 
in the rough or if he seeks greater comfort it may be matchboarded inside and varnished or painted as it pleases him stoves to warm the cabins differ as greatly as those who cook their pans of frying eels upon them lockers usually fill up the ends fore and aft the settles serve as cupboards below in which coal water bottles and a score other cumbersome necessaries are stowed the moorhen boasts a mantelpiece and one or two other decorations of an artistic character the bradener bundles in his houseboat nets and much of his gear and he sleeps soundly upon a sack thrown over the nets and corks with another or a blanket flung over himself outside float his eel trunks and on the roof you will find his poles picks and sails he is a robinson crusoe afloat houseboats vary in value from the tarry veteran at fifty shillings to the more elaborate amateur punt gunner's roomy ark worth as many pounds luxury and utility sometimes combined are viewed from different standpoints afloat as well as on shore in the houseboat the first monday evening in august finds our punt well laden with some of the necessaries of life bread tea potatoes and what not every parcel snugly stowed away in the side lockers or under the forepeak a steady south-easterly wind with a flowing tide are in our favour and as we are in no great hurry i have taken in a reef of the old brown tan sail so that you will have plenty of headroom and can see whatever birds may be bustling around making sure of a supper of some sort before the sun sets these south-easterly winds so common off this coast in the warmer evenings are most convenient for our upgoing and nine times out of ten we can reckon on a shift to the northward and the westward by sunrise sufficient to waft us home either on the ebb or the flood tide i need not explain the processes of nature which so oblige us the sun has been glaringly hot to-day and the heated air quivers over the warm flats here and there distant objects appear inverted the far-off mills loom up big and stand out of the mist gleaming and weird some herons yonder on the duffel's flats show up distinctly and much magnified while several black-backed gulls look as large as bustards and when they are moving one might almost mistake them at first glance for a company of black-coated boys manoeuvring it is a wonderful sight this braden mirage even the bullocks on the walls are distorted and appear to be standing on stilts while the trees beyond braden and the stakes in the channel look ghostly and uncanny 
it is the density of the different strata of air affected by the hot mud and cooler waters of the estuary which gives these mingled effects of refraction and reflection it is a far more interesting phenomenon than the marsh mists which often hover above the lowlands at sunset blotting out all the view beyond the nearest marshes on either side this all-pervading layer of mist sometimes hovers a foot or two above the grass and only the legs of grazing cattle are visible then while one stands marvelling it drops nearer the ground hiding all but their heads and backs a misty night prophesies a fine morning and a dry cabin top after nightfall is often the sign of a wet tomorrow we passed a lot of gulls squabbling over a couple of stale loaves that had been heaved overboard by some indignant yachtsman on the edge of the ship drain a parcel of little terns sit bunched up head to wind resting after the day's fishing one little fellow finds the white bait flashing in the clear water most alluring he hovers questioningly around the punt as we mimic his bat-like squeal how keenly the small thing eyes every movement of the tiny fishes in the water below which flash like strips of gold in sunlight as they play near the surface it is odd to see the sharp underturn of the bird's head when it catches sight of a likely victim dropping backwards in its flight and suddenly like a bolt from the blue dashing obliquely at it and seizing it with unerring aim a youngster on the flat has been watching its mother fishing and lifts itself all aflutter and vociferous as any young starling to receive the fish which is presently most adroitly dropped between its mandibles i never tire of watching these delightful creatures old and young fishing and begging toying and toiling this high and often dry flat at the left of the entrance to the ship drain is a favourite resort of the various terns the little terns in particular which in spring make it a kind of halfway house and in the early autumn a sort of nursery for the youngsters i have spent an hour at a time near this flat watching them and wondering how each bird knows its own among the ten or twenty squealing chicks sitting in a line about a yard apart it is curious how a mother tern will pass three four or five and stop at the sixth delivering to it a portion of its dinner a nice fresh young herring another flits by to the twelfth and scarcely does one little one of all the first eleven raise more than a bill to greet the passer-by but the twelfth bird is all a flutter and a fuss to welcome it mutual recognition seems a certainty i notice that the elder bird always cheeped as it neared its own offspring 
and sometimes dropped the fish beside it, as if to tempt the little thing to learn to help itself. The number of terns visiting Braden in August is largely influenced by the abundance or scarcity of herring sile. A few small waders are passed, chiefly young dunlins and redshanks, tame as house sparrows, for they have not yet learnt that man is a butcher. The young dunlins are indifferently marked, hardly so drab as they will be in midwinter, while an adult bird or two, solitary in habit, and just now freed from the cares of domesticity, still retain the livelier hues of springtime, the black horseshoe patch being as well defined as ever. The saddle-backed and the common gulls are as tame as pheasants, seemingly knowing that harm would not come to them in the sunnier days, while of the blackheads, the old are fast losing their hoods and the young are blotched with rich brown patches. I think the juvenile stage of Larus ridibundus is far prettier than the more decidedly handsome dress of summer and equally clean trim attire of early winter. Its flesh-coloured extremities are wonderfully in keeping with its pretty plumage. I dislike to hear this species called the kitty. I'd sooner hear it called the Skolton puet. The true kittywake, whose legs are black, very rarely visits Braden. Only once in my experience have I got close to one, a wounded example, sitting on the apex of the wall, having no doubt flown in from the sea. Mr. Dye, some fifteen years ago, shot an adult kittywake here in November. On reaching the moorhen, we at once turn in to light a fire and get tea ready. This task falls to the skipper, and anyone who has joined his crew is at liberty meanwhile to have a good look round from the staging to watch the passing up and down of yachts and wherries in the channel, or to overlook the scattered birds at their ablutions or gleaning up their suppers. There remains yet a small bare patch of weed-covered flat in front of us. In an hour it will be under water. A few red shanks and a green shank or two are restlessly picking at the margin of the encroaching tide, while a few juvenile starlings, whose yellow-billed parents brought them shrimps and sea lice from the shrimpers' nets drying at the mastheads in the spring, now glean up crustaceans for themselves among the stranded roar and grass. Early training governs even our appetites. Gossip and tea occupy some time, and it is sundown ere we notice how the time has flown, and dusk before we have cleared away and ceased yarning. Nature lovers find much in common to discourse on, and just as we have stowed away to enjoy an hour's observation outside, in comes Bannum, the marshman, with a cheery, Good evening, gentlemen 
for the pipe of good fellowship and a model for those who dwell in solitary places are always glad enough to see strange faces and to converse on what is happening in the big town yonder so near and yet so far Bannum has just finished milking and is weary with a hard day's marsh mowing his stay is short for every fine day must be made the most of and he must needs be early abroad in the morning the Bannums have dwelt in marshland for generations the blood of the vikings courses through their veins and they still retain the fair hair and bright blue eyes of their race and what is more for ages these bannums have fought flood and tide and kept the banks and dykes in repair while jim bannum is to-day the best mound builder in east anglia the wall running along behind the moorhen and away to dan bannum's mill out to the westward was hained and strengthened three or four years ago it will need little repairing in his lifetime good night patson is bannum's last remark as he overtops the walls good night bannum comes from the houseboat like an echo night has quietly put the day to rest and the queen of night high over the town is reflected in a silvery ripple on the flowing waters the lights of yarmouth twinkle brightly against the dark and undefinable background away on our right the dark tide lapping the rond distinctly outlines it with glowing phosphorescence there is a ripple of it yonder where the water curls round a stranded swirl and Braden shimmers with weird mysterious lights the sky is cloudless but we can feel the gentle breeze springing up from the west nature is seldom really quiet even tonight the gulls are holding a strange concert on the distant lumps and odd laughing cries ring out from the common babble Redshanks are piping on the marshes, and the wail of a passing flock of lapwings bespeaks a changing for fresh feeding grounds. Now and again one hears the deep whistle of the curlew and the harsh croak of the heron. Even in the waters below, life is yet restless. One hears the jump of a mullet, the strange plunging sluss of shrimp hunting eels in the shallows and the slap of a flounder following its prey to the surface little by little these sounds die away while the lights of yarmouth go out one by one the cabin roof is beginning to run with dew time to put that pipe away let's turn in lower the lamp and roll up in our blankets until morning good night on the muds we are up betimes in the morning a loud report followed by a sharp crack 
makes both of us to start up hurriedly from our bunks and peer out into the bright morning. Fred Clark the Puntsman, whose houseboat lies out there to the westward, has risen betimes and had a shot or two at some young mallard taking their first look at Braden. Yesterday they bade goodbye to their elders and started out on their travels, satisfied that the outside world was larger than their native broads. In one of their more airy flights, they caught a bird's-eye glimpse of Braden, little knowing that among the creeks of that tempting hunting-ground there lurked deadly peril. Out of that little family party, three have ended their short lives. Two fell to the deadly swivel-gun, and another wounded. That second report plainly told us that the cripple had also been brought to bag. The season for duck shooting here commences on August the 1st, but the redshanks and stray spoonbills and other waders may consider themselves safe under ordinary conditions for a full month longer. Then all owners of guns, swivel or otherwise, make common cause against everything that flies. It was high water last night at ten. Today it will run up until nearly eleven. Fred Clark has just retrieved his duck in Duffel's Drain yonder and is making back for his station. All the flats are yet uncovered, and the greater black-backed gulls are prowling everywhere in search of stranded fish or shore crab, while the blackheads are also bent on gleaning up a breakfast. Just now there are myriads of shore crabs on Braden, less in size than a halfpenny. Among the debris at the edge of the wall, you will notice hundreds of empty carapaces. Pick up half a dozen, and you find the skeleton of Carcinus minus completing carapace, legs, antennae, and eye stalks. The little fellows have just moulted. Some of the carapaces have been cast off a day or two, and already they have become bleached and brittle, and will crumble up into chalky powder between your fingers. One seldom comes across the crabs in their soft condition. I believe they hide in holes in the rons, under the zostera, and in interstices in the walls, until their new and larger jackets have hardened, a process very soon completed. Curlew and gull, eel and blenny, eagerly pursue these small crabs and find them nutritious food. In maw and stomach, the shelly armour soon dissolves to a gelatinous mass, and there is an end of crabby. That line of empty shells certainly looks odd against the deep green of the wall grasses, just as if someone had used a huge lump of soft chalk and drawn the line on purpose. These old flats fairly teem with life. It will be interesting to stroll a little way barefoot. We shall take no harm, for even on rotten eye, 
where fifty years ago no one dared to walk for fear of sinking thigh deep and where in the eighties i used to walk gingerly with an oar for company one can now strut only ankle deep there are soft places at the edge of the channel yonder that to this day are to me an abomination walking on the prostrate zostera is as safe and easy as walking on the marshes nature here works slowly sometimes here are the footprints still distinct of bannam's boy who came here winkling two or three days ago and here are quant holes i made in shoving across at high water the following day yet it is astonishing how in a few days small creeks will get scoured deeply and in corners affected by eddies the mud will silt up an inch in a week one needs no mud patterns although there are places where broken bottles and ragged timber may do mischief you can never walk barefoot here but the fear of mishap is ever present the punters never foot the mud flats without having good sea boots on nor do the smelters here and there we notice the jets squirted up by clams and shellfish shrimps and little and yellow gobies scatter and scuttle about in the lows and occasionally in a deeper puddle the unmistakable scurry of a little eel or the dash of a young flounder attracts attention the soft mud is riddled with countless holes the smaller ones were pricked by mudworms i pushed down my bared arms some seven or eight inches quickly too and my fingers come in contact with a hard substance which by a curling of my finger i at once decide to be a clam out it comes what a state my arm is in black and muddy at the nearest puddle i wash it clam as well the bluish shell is by no means pretty and opening it with my knife i find inside an obese mollusk like a giant cockle which looks by no means tempting no one eats clams from a mud flat all over these ostera lying prone on the mud great green-shelled winkles are crawling we soon fill a can with these herbivorous mollusks you may like the tough morsels which are sweet enough when washed and boiled they are the only shellfish found on braden which are fit for food among them crawl myriads of tiny hydrobea many shorebirds gather these small mollusks even town pigeons come to fill their crops with them mussels lie here and there in small patches begrimed and muddy and eaten only by the hooded crow who breaks their shells on the flint walls by dropping them from a height he then scoops out the soft luscious body and eagerly devours it fearless of typhoid a complaint more than incidental to featherless bipeds who break a bylaw in order to devour the foul things
it is a great pity that sewerage should be allowed to poison what might otherwise be wholesome food for the poor then there are several species of sessiled-eyed crustaceans left by the tide to be found among the raw idotia gammaridae corophidae and spheroma notwithstanding these formidable names the small waders pick them up promiscuously in their travels and come increasingly as the month wears on let us go back to the houseboat there is a big clear puddle near our little jetty in which we may wash the mud from our feet and there is clean water in one of the big stone bottles for a rinse a bath is out of the question today indeed Bradham is seldom fit for that save on an easterly wind when the water is sheer and then only from a boat in mid-channel there is a queer yarn told of a london visitor who dived in from the balks near the margin at the entrance of Braden. he could not see the bottom for the westerly wind had troubled the waters he was found at low tide with his legs in the air and his head and shoulders fast in the mud this is a Braden story i give with all reserve a short stroll across the marshes behind us results in our finding enough mushrooms to fry with our steak and a right royal breakfast do we afterwards enjoy when the tide makes a bit more we will shove off and quant up the cross drain to jarry the watcher's boat perhaps he will be going up the duffel's drain to the fleet for a little eel picking if so we will join him a quiet sunday august the sixth nineteen o five the spell of a quiet sabbath evening is upon me the faint clamour of the church bells to the eastward has died away and the evening service has begun the tide is out and as i sit on the well of the old houseboat moorhen a wide area of mud-flats bare of water save in the shallowest of pools in which the dunlins can run thigh-deep lies spread before me right away to the long monotonous bank of houses that broken here and there by a steeple or a tall chimney represents the town of yarmouth whose only appearance of life although teeming with people is exhibited in the smoke of an ice factory and the whiter output of a distant locomotive the flats richly coloured with the varying greens and browns of the prostrate widgeon grass the raw ketomorpha linum and the cabbage alva lactuca remind one somewhat of an inundated hayfield an hour hence distant lights will twinkle in the gloaming and the glare of a holiday resort will make one thankful that there is one little isolated freehold conveniently far away from it where restfulness and quietude are assured where only the tremulous notes of the wimbrel 
and the mellow cry of the curlew break the stillness in the middle distance runs a silvery liquid thread it is the channel along which glide two or three white-sailed yachts and an occasional wherry the skipper of the latter in these hard times gladly enough throwing in a seventh day's passage to make up for a poor six days earnings such is Braden, a salt-water broad so often described and yet always so fascinating at least to me seven p m at this moment there are a few blotches of cloud overhead yellowing reddening purpling as they glide downward to the eastern horizon and below the setting sun stretch wave-like fringes of clouds fantastically gilded and deepening into furnace red as he sinks behind each ridge the only birds on the wing are a few late-flying family-board sand martins and a restless gull or two while the only cries heard at this moment are the laughing yah-yahs of a black-headed gull the tweety tweet tweet of a couple of common sandpipers the petulant lueet of a ringed plover and the calls of a flock of lapwings on the marsh behind some of these peewits have used the mudflats to-day a rather unusual proceeding with them i have just cleared away the teapot the remnants of a loaf and all that is left of a cream cheese sent as a titbit by mrs bannam the marshman's kindly wife who herself content perhaps with the loneliness of life on the marshlands half pities the hermit who seeks even lonelier quarters from choice a lump of steam coal is glowing in the cabin stove what a delightful and characteristic cry of the oozy wilderness is that of the curlew one yonder is probing and picking among the grass a small crab a mudworm an idotea linearis or a shrimp in an adjoining puddle all alike are fish in his net i saw one fellow this morning toying with a flounder he had whipped up at the end of his sickle bill it travelled no higher up it he twisted and turned it round and round flung it on the rack picked it up again shook it all the while knowing he could not hope to swallow it nor did he try to then he threw it away in disgust why is it the curlew can never pass by a butt the moment after he had thrown it down he ran to a worm bore and dragged out a ragworm see how the fellow jumped he had disturbed a clam in passing that ejected a small jet of water as it sank to safer hiding i can never help being amused at the curlew's nervousness hearken how's that for a concert twenty-two freshly arrived curlews all calling at once now fly upwards coming in from seawards upwards 
that is, towards the borough end of Braden. They may rest a while there on the flats, but more probably they mean to keep on. They are hard to count until they obliquely open out a couple of furlongs away, and thus make the counting of them easier through this powerful old marine telescope. Handy old instrument. How many spoonbills have I not watched through your lenses? That odd curlew piped as his relatives went by, but remained. He means, no doubt, to stay a few days longer. End of section 14